Hello. Pull up a chair, get a drink, and welcome to the familiar cat and crow. I am your host for the evening, in Caleb Littleton, and let's talk about Dungeons and Dragons and every other RPG for a while. The gaming news one for this and the next episode are going to be a little weird, mostly because I'm double banking these, so I split the news up between the two. That said, let's get into the actual news portion of this. So, oh, today in new release, it says Dungeons and Dragons is released their latest source book, which is called Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons. And it seeks to do exactly what you expect. There are two things everyone expects from Dungeons and Dragons, even if they don't know anything about it. You expect Dungeons, and you hope that at some point there's going to be some form of dragon. Well, they wrote an entire book on how to make dragons way more dangerous and give players some stuff to mess with for dragons. One of the big complaints I've seen about the Dragonborn race is that it's just underpowered. Well, what do I mean? For those who have not played D&D, somehow, the basic original write-up for Dragonborn had a strength bonus, a charisma bonus, and bonus took half damage from one type of damage and then just could do a breath weapon once a day, basically. Compare that to other races that had got the uh, their bonuses, but also could throw fire or if they got hit or cast multiple spells or reroll ones. And a lot of people assumed that the Dragonborn was a little weak as designed, partially because the damage doing is not really scaling well considering what it's designed for. If I'm breathing a blast of fire, lightning, ice, whatever in a cone, I expect it to hit hard, especially if I only get it once a day. And in practice, often it just didn't live up to it, and considering that's the main point of Dragonborn, the one race you can play to become a dragon in Dungeons and Dragons, there were issues. This band's Treasury of Dragons has, as one of its main selling points, we redid Dragonborn. Well, so, first thing to understand is that there are three kinds of Dragonborn in D&D. Previously, two. The first of which is called, because Dragonborn get their powers through what is called their Draconic Ancestry. And there are multiple kinds of dragons set up into sections, essentially. There are the evil chromatic dragons with their 
that come in red, white, blue, and green, and black. There are also metallic dragons, which are typically good. Hood and come in brass, gold, silver, bronze, and copper. Part of the... And why you chose one of these is your color also decided what kind of element you had that you could take half damage from. Um, I believe it was, was red, gold, and copper that I took half damage from fire, for example. Well, but there were ten and types of damage in Dungeons and Dragons, well, elemental damage, and only five were covered. And it was fairly straightforward in the design of Lane, but there were also no options for the weirder stuff. Enter, enter one of the big things to, things to get added in this rewrite. Gem dragons. Gem dragons had appeared in previous rate races before. They are, are the weird, bizarre, magically inclined ones. And because of that, their scales shine light. Their scales shimmer. They are shimmer, all that. The big thing is they have some level of psychic potential and basically covered the five elements of stuff that the others didn't cover. Cover force, radiant, psychic, thunder, all that. So, it also gave, the rewrite did more than just give you new colors, though. The big change is now instead of being able to take up your entire action to do your fire breath, which doesn't do that much to begin with. If now it's changed. Now it takes up one, maximum one per turn of your attack actions, and you can do which a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus per day. Proficiency bonus being how they how they shorthand skills in 5th edition so that you can just say, oh, I have a plus 5 to that. Oh, sorry. Anyway, on top of that, each of the three types of Dragonborn actually do something unique for once instead of just being what color you were. Chromatic dragons were better at taking certain kinds of damage. Imagine could be, become immune to it. Metallic dragons can do, do unique forms of breath weapons that it could knock people out or or push them back. And, and gem dragons are telepathic. 
for whatever reason, they can just read minds for those within a certain, certain range. And, well, they can send messages. They can't read minds with telepathy, telepathy. And, and they can also temporarily fly. That other thing dragons are, are known for, or that dragonborn aren't re- weren't really good at, they didn't fly or often have tails. Now, no, they're not. They didn't get at tails added on here, but that's just the kind of thing, thing that players would override the book for and say my character has a tail anyway. So there are also other stuff, but uh, Dungeons and Dragons is not the only game on the market. So let's talk about. Monty Cook. Monty Cook is a big name in game design, and he's designed his own indie systems a lot. He's worked on World of Darkness and Dungeons and Dragons in his time. Eventually, he just went indie at some point. So, what happens then? Well, Oh, he eventually designed his own system, the Cypher system, which I'm not fond of. Why does that matter? Well, Monty Cook just announced a new game in the last couple days, which is now in Kickstarter being promoted. It's an interdimensional thing. You can travel through various planes and spend every resource you can have just to get through the deck, which normally in a game is actually kind of fun, but the resource I mean isn't money or anything like that. In most most tabletop games, you get an experience to level up, experience being an amount of points. Some games have replaced that have renamed that, some have done away with levels and you just spend experience like cash to buy new things. Whatever. The big thing is that with Cypher is part of the mechanic is you can spend your experience points to do things up front in the game, which sounds cool as long as your play, you're not forcing your players to spend all their experience, meaning they can never actually level up. And one of the most important parts of these games is well people like to get stronger many times that's leveling up in systems like Pathfinder and Dungeons Dragons other times that's being able to buy new things like in Shadowrun or Cyberpunk or, or World of Darkness and Cypher takes that resource that's usually considered sacred and makes it a currency your DM can force you to spend. I don't like it. But that's the news for this segment. Let's talk about the real meat of this podcast for the day. It's Halloween. And when you talk about horror games and Halloween, there are or horror tabletop games and Halloween, there are two big names for that. Call of Cthulhu and White Wolf's The World of Darkness. 
Call of Cthulhu is exactly what you expect from that name. It's a Lovecraft game where instead of being able to fight the monsters, you are the ants that they will squish. And part of the fun is, okay, can I survive and not go insane? It sounds silly and off-putting. It's actually a blast. The other one, however, and the meat of today's segment, it is the world of darkness. What will also attempt to make you the monster in the monster movie? And it started with started as just the world of darkness, and it's in the mid-90s and ran into the early 2000s. At which point they rebooted it. Why? Well, one of the big reasons that it got rebooted was that it made no sense. So, in the world going forward, I'm going to refer to it as the One World of Darkness because they've rebranded it and the legacy version of this under that name. One World of Darkness, but is built on the idea that you are are this are various Halloween monsters, vampires, werewolves, witches, so on, on going about your life and trying to not let the world know that hey, werewolves exist for various reasons. Reasons, and one of those things that people tend Avada, sorry, a pro- problem with it setting it that everything's interconnected and it sure would have been nice if the mechanics actually actually allowed for that but they didn't in any way shape or form and that's the major problem with old world with the old world of darkness one world of darkness it's one world that doesn't sync up the books themselves would say, oh, if you'd like to ha- like to fight vampires in this game of werewolf, then we don't have the rules to sync those up, so just give them powers from your book or hope that the balance from the other one will, will properly hit. It won't. However, there was one interesting draw to it. At the end of the day... The world is ending. In One World of Darkness, it is made clear early on to the point where it is in the title of two or three books, the world is going to end and the signs are already here. And that is an interesting narrative device, giving you a massive timer to put things on. Another problem... Blah. The other problem is, you know, delivering on that, but uh, that's a player thing. And so what it, the other major problem with One World of Darkness, though, is back then during those halcyon days of the 90s, which are nowhere near as progressive as you remember, uh, some of... A lot of this content has not aged well, and we will get into that 
at in more detail when I break down, make this down. The point of the day, though, is to compare the old world, one world, and what replaced it. What replaced it was a system designed to work together. The Chronicles of Darkness, originally just called New World of Darkness. Darkness, which rebooted everything, made entirely new books for things. Some would be exactly the same, and some would be wildly different. There were some terms that got kept, and some that got thrown out entirely. And there was an attempt to try and give each game its own unique feel. Which is actually nice, because... As there should be a difference between playing a vampire and playing the guy that hunts them. Now, some of those choices were weird, but... And yes, when I say they rebooted everything, they, they put out an entire new franchise for vampire, werewolf, etc. So I figure, why don't we compare the things? Direct comparison and pound for pound, which execution for each line was a better idea, and that and at the end we'll talk about the things that were only in one or the other. So, first thing and we got to talk about is the games that started or did both of them. People came to World of Darkness to be a, a sexy vampire with. If in one world of darkness, Vampire the Masquerade. Vampire the Masquerade ran and on a simple idea that gets way more complicated than you expect. Vampires are all the descendants of, of one being, Cain. Yes, that Cain. Cain, after he was cursed by God, created other vampires, and then they created more and more or which eventually created clans of vampires, bloodlines that would give you certain powers. The clan concept also came back in Requiem, but um, in a similar way, but they removed Cain. And the big day-to-day plot is, you are the vampires running everything. So what do you do with all this power? Politic, a lot of politic. Good politics, but it is a social game above everything else, even though it tries to make you think that and it is a game of bang, zoom, smash, as combat. It wants to have combat, but the title Masquerade came from the fact that there is a masquerade you do not break. The world in world is ending in Vampire the Masquerade because as eventually the sleeping clan founders will come back and ravage the world as the borderline gods they are. And you gotta figure out what to do in the meantime. The actual day-to-day stuff you do is there are several groups, the main one being the Camarilla, which are the supposed good guys in their ivory tower. Or 
and then there's the Sabbats, which worship the founders and want to bring them back. And also will just murder everything because they don't care. Some of the problem with, as for Vampire, the Requiem, they brought back the Camarilla of the clan concept and took out a lot of the rest. There's no biblical magic to it anymore. And as we'll talk about later, biblical stuff gets real weird. Weird. And now the politics instead are that every there are basically societies you can join up with to gain new powers. And it's a little weird for my taste. However, there is one major upside to Vampire, or the Requiem over the Vampire the Masquerade. So you know how I talked about how their bloodlines ends in Vampire the Masquerade and Requiem? Well, someone at Wizards of the Coast decided, hey, why don't we make decide on a place these started and then start building them on various stereotypes? A lot of claims. And that's not a problem. And then there's the assassins from the Middle East, the Roma that were sinful tricksters, and so on. Thankfully, no black clans in that one. In that one. And because of it, Vampire the Masquerade plays a little weird nowadays because but not as we here it is the successor. Well, not as not as we here it is the second game line. Werewolf, werewolf, old werewolf was called Werewolf the Apocalypse, and you were actively try fighting to stop the apocalypse because you were chosen by the spirit of the moon. It sounds weird. So everything has a spirit in the werewolf games, and. In both, the moon chose the werewolves to go do things for whatever reason. Werewolf the Apocalypse plays it straight as you are a religious zealot, go kill things that are corrupting the planet. Except you will lose because pollution will destroy everything and, well, World of Darkness is an apocalypse game. But... But it's actually really fun and open, and there's some great character stuff within the tribes. Werewolf the Forsaken changes this so that instead of fighting spirit monsters, your foot is the player characters are playing the children of the Forsaken in Werewolf the Forsaken. What are the Forsaken? Well, Daddy Wolf kind of got back during the days of Pangea. Yes, that Pangea. Daddy Wolf was the good guy, and then he started going crazy, and some and his pack of children noticed. And some of those decided that it was time to put down Old Yeller. These were the Forsaken, and the pure ones were so horrified by this. 
is that they would try to hunt down on the Forsaken at any means necessary. This was also when Pangea shattered into various continents because the moon was upset, I guess. One of the major differences is in Forsaken, you're the hunted, which feels weird for a game about werewolves, but also... The tribes in Werewolf the Forsaken feel like the most boring concepts. Like, there's the te- there's the people who like people. There's the ones that want to rule. There's the fighty ones, that kind of thing. But those groups, unlike in Werewolf the Apocalypse, were not tied to real bloodlines. Because, oh, God, Werewolf the Apocalypse, whereas you could be from anywhere technically in in Vampire and just have been sired by a Russian, as in Bitten, you, in, in Werewolf, they went with various groups and, oh God, it, it's not good. There are two magical Native American groups in the 13 tribes. There are the Greek Amazons that are a very bad take on feminism. There there are the shifty Russians, and there's just so many bad ideas here. And yet, those bad ideas, including mob werewolves, feel like they had more thought put into them. I could go on and on about this for all day, for all of these, but and I'm but the last one and I'm going to go into detail on and that and I'll just start doing some some faster stuff for the other lines is the third main line. Mage. One world of darkness had Mage the Ascension. One day you realize that you can and warp reality into your whim using some tool of your tradition of magic. You could be the pointy hat wizard, you could be the Viking witch, whatever. There's a tradition for it. For some reason there's even alchemists that cast magic by getting high because somehow that's what chemistry means now in the 90s. Ugh. And yet I it'll like me. It's just gets so weird when you've got not a, not a group of black magicians as one of them that, that were very clearly written by white pe- people who were trying to do African and mages and probably did not consult any African people or experts on African people. And if you want to know how their research goes, the were lions are lions in Werewolf the Apocalypse were literally just called Simba as the race name. So it's kind of like that. Mage of the Ascension's big plot is that technology is evil, kind of. 
see there were a group of mages that tried to depower the other mages by getting everyone to believe in science because magic is based on the glorious consensus. If the mass people believe, oh yeah, you can't shoot fire from your hands, you can't shoot fire from your hands. Now, if you if you tell them that this little brick in their pocket is a supercomputer, they'll believe it and it works. And because of that, it's kind of a spy game, kind of. Majorly Awakening, on the other hand, it de- gets rid of that group, the technocracy. Instead, Atlantis, because they'll just pull in anything. You are a new who awakened mage from one of the lost orders of Atlantis, which is lost and we can no longer get back to. And the point is now to get back to it. Atlantis. Here, there's, here they act, unlike in Werewolf, they actually put some time and philosophy into the magical groups here, and none of it was based on where they lived or or who their parents were. Weird, I know. I'm trying not to harp on that, but it's kind of hard not to, because some of it gets really uncomfortable when there's just a straight-up group in Mage the Ascension that are kung fu wizards. So, yeah, enough. And that takes us through the main three lines of World of Darkness and Chronicles of Darkness. There are way more. Changeling is about fairies in both versions. In Old World of Darkness, it was the happy one where you were trying to do, to keep your happiness and basically the point was growing up sucks and eventually you'll lose all spark of joy. Which is depressing if you think about it for more than a nanosecond. Changeling the Lost is more accessible and honestly the better of them. Changeling the Lost, you didn't get a choice in becoming some altered faith thing. You weren't reincarnated from it like in Dreaming. Someone kidnapped you, replaced you with a duplicate, and turned you into something else as a prisoner or a slave or an object. And you escaped, and now you have to deal with that trauma. And it's fascinating because every group in that has their own ways of tra- dealing with the trauma. I'm a, I'm a hedonism, anger, or depression, and high. 